you put statistics on this, Phil? Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward. Here's the pass. Antonio's through. Chance of four. What a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast. Joining me on the pod is, as ever, the brains of this thing. Entirely confident of European football next season is Jack Elderton. And looking forward to the Confirmeffi League is Callum Goodall. Yeah, even your mistake's not on the pod I'm after. I'm on the ball, Cal, I'm on the ball. Um, another two games to look back on. Um, a painful first leg defeat and whatever way Arsenal got away with the things that they get away with against us again has happened. And we can have a look at that. Um, if you'd like to get in touch, all correspondence can be sent to us on Twitter at KUMBpod. To Arsenal then, straight in, straight off we go. Um I mean, an annoying, aggravating, infuriating game. Mike Dean there as well. Every every little part of an Arsenal game that you expect. Um, ended up, after quite a good first half, a bit of a damp scrim in the second and the, the obvious defeat, Jack. Um, and we, you know, we weren't bad. We weren't great. Acceptable, I guess. I think for a change side, missing key players, um, Generally, it was a pretty positive performance. Um, I think we showed a good understanding of how to um, manage the game, um, given uh, the weakness, the obvious weaknesses in, in that uh, team um, in the line that we fielded. Um, but I also think we came up against an Arsenal team that has developed a, a huge amount over the last six months, particularly. Um, but definitely since Arteta's come in, I mean, the development's been pretty steady. Um, there was there were a few failed experiments. I think uh, they were set back quite significantly by um, the signings of William and Pepe not working out. And they had a clear idea of how they wanted their right side to function that, that has taken a very long time uh, to come around now. Um, and they've finally sort of achieved some balance with Saka and Smith Rowe, Saka and Martinelli. But we, we came up against the side in that in that team that sort of know how to win at the moment even when they don't play particularly well um and their usage of a low block against us was pretty sensible really if you look at our struggles uh, over the course of the last two seasons um against the low block at, at different times um and, and and particularly here conceding wide space against us when we didn't have Suchek or Antonio in, in the team was was a was a very effective tactic so I, I, all round I think the performance was pretty positive I just um you know I, I sort of I think it was about half an hour in and the stand turned to the person who sits next to me and said um I can see what the defensive structure is and I can see how we're going to stop them from scoring a goal, but I'm not entirely sure how we're going to score a goal. Mm. Um, and that was really the key problem throughout. It was interesting. It was like, we, we played quite attractively for what it was. And I think both teams kind of pass around quite nicely. A lot of possibly a lot of passing without an idea of where that final ball was going to go and passing to keep the ball. Um, at least at the very least, what we did get was an, you know, another long game for Mark Noble playing quite nicely in the Premier League, Cal, which is, I kind of all like want to see maybe in the Premier League for the rest of the season. Yeah, well, I think that's it. It capped it off, isn't it? His last ever London derby and he was arguably one of the best players on the pitch for us, I think. He was, I wouldn't say it was faultless, but it was led by example, certainly, um, and had something of a metronomic role in the middle of our midfield, which is bizarre to say when you think that Lanzini is the one that you would assume would play that role. Um, but his passing was brilliant. He had 
I think it was 92% pass completion rate, uh, which is crazy. And all of his passes into the final third were accurate. So uh, it's not the sort of stuff that generally I would attribute with Noble in the sort of final years of his career. But um, yeah, it was uh, almost a perfect hark back to the older days. And, and, what, and what, what a way to go out in your last London derby. I thought off the ball, he was brilliant as well. He was, uh, That's what I was winning, say, the, yeah. winning the ball back quite well. I think, um, mm. I think I've got down only uh, sorry on the ball was good only four ball losses which is is great uh, but seven ball recoveries and five of which are in the opposition half which is what really surprised me is Noble's not really someone that you kind of think of no. as an aggressive uh, like ball winner uh, he's usually not sits, these days <laughs> yeah sits, exactly with the the legs that he's got nowadays it's, it's completely unexpected he usually sits deeper and sort of mops up uh, in, a, in a similar sense to what Rice does so brilliantly in front of that sort of 18 yard box area, but he was, he was over committing, but getting everything right. So yeah, great performance from Nobes. Really pleased. I think I saw that he won all of his ground jewels. Mm, uh, yeah. I think it's 100%, 100%, 100% five from five. Um, so yeah, I think given, given his obvious lack of recovery pace to be able to make those commitments and, and be correct, um, and, and win it every time is a really impressive performance. I think, I think there was already, one particular tackle. Was it on Saka that was just the most noble not, tackle ever? Yeah, and I was, I was like, "Is there anything you you have to do in this final London derby? Is do a Mark Noble tackle?" And he absolutely <laughs> nailed it. It was. It was great because you just you didn't know. You just looked. Well, that was Nobes. <laughs> yeah, no one else has yeah. done that. I think he actually achieved two from two take-ons as well, which. He's, he's yeah. you know he's he's Ryan Giggs S dribbler in his later career as well. It's everything <laughs> you need. Um, not a name I should bring up. Um, it, it was not very moment, little, no. very, yeah, very little to take from the game. I think one of the things that really struck for me in terms of first team and going on it was the return of Sofal again on that side, and he had a quite an effective game. He was driving up the right. He got the assist for Bowen, which was I don't know if he intended the pass or not. I, I think it would be charitable to say he did and it was all on purpose um but he had a good game going up and down that flank and he was really notable especially i think probably dovetailing quite well with four now as he wanted to drift off there anyway uh yeah uh i, I thought he did intend the pass I, I'm, I'm i thought it was a pretty good uh cutback um uh but yeah just all game that the relationship but they haven't really played together that much but the relationship that, that Sufal and Fornells had down that right side was really um strong um and Sufal's understanding um of when to hit the space in behind when Fornells drifted inside was pretty much perfect all game um and the, the goal was a was a great example of that his timing on the run in behind um and and then picking out a perfect cutback um, but then also defensively, I thought he was really, really good. Um, marshaled the space because I think often in the first half, I mean, I've just done the first half of the review. Arsenal were kind of looking to, for direct balls definitely in the first 10, 15 minutes um, into the space uh, behind Soufal with um, Tavares getting very high on on the left side because Arsenal were really struggling to progress through the middle because Noble and Rice were doing quite a good job on um, Odegaard and Xhaka. Xhaka, who was particularly poor, um, for Arsenal. Um, and, and he did a really good job dealing with that. So I think we've had a lot of issues with him looking slightly sort of unsteady, not looking completely fit this season, uh, not looking completely confident in, in what he's doing, but, um, but, but really good all round performance. Um, and I mean, if he plays uh, anything like that, I mean, I hope he plays on Thursday um, night now. Uh, I hope he's won that spot. Um, and if he plays anything like that on Thursday, he'll he'll have a big impact because it will really help provide some balance and some overlapping threat on, on, on the right flank. 
It's definitely he's quite he's almost it feels unique in our definitely our first choice, our real really used fullbacks, Cowan, that he he does bomb bomb up and down. I know I mean there's I think there's a quote early from this an interview recently where he said he was playing through pain to the point where he was getting his wife to pick him up out of bed in the morning. <laughs> So, <laughs> so obviously, other than his hedge wife, he was to notice that he was obviously paid through a lot of pay to get that, which explains yeah. kind of that dip. Hundred um, percent. But if he brings back those levels, he's he's something we wouldn't need to improve on anyway. No, no, not at all. He's a. I mean, we saw what he did last season. If, if that player returns, then he's an absolute nailed-on starter for me. I mean, I think last season especially, he was. I don't think I'm reaching too much to say he was one of the best right backs in the league on form in terms of overall defensive and attacking contribution. I think he was solid at the back, but also got a ridiculous number of assists. And if we can get that back into that fullback position, I think, yeah, he's a definite starter. I think for me, like Jack's highlighted, it's his overlapping um, contribution that is something that I really thought we lacked or do lack generally when Johnson plays. I think we've, we've brought it up on the pod before. He doesn't seem to have that... Uh, confidence and assuredness in his ability to get forward uh, to make those runs quite often he'll get to the final third almost like there's some sort of force field and he'll start to like sort of like look a bit nervous and he doesn't want to go beyond that and I don't know if that's because first and foremost he's a defender so maybe he starts to think oh well I don't want to go too far away from the defence because if we get caught out and and I get that hesitancy it comes with time and it comes with confidence um, in, in the team that you play with um, but I think particularly going into Thursday I, I mean I'd be really disappointed if Sifal doesn't start but largely because of that presence he has going forward uh, and his decision making as well he doesn't just do it every time and hope for the best he knows when to commit and when to when to chill and I think going up against a team uh, like Frankfurt, who we've seen have Kostic at, well, left wing back, but he's not even really a wing back. But what it does mean is that there's all that space there to be exploited. And I don't think we made the best of that in the first leg. And I think bringing Sufal in, I think that's someone who really can look to exploit. Uh, I, I'm reluctant to call it a weakness because it's a decision that they do on purpose and it works really well for them. But there's definitely yeah. a gap there. It's part of part of always the kind of balance of our wing players, what is different is that Sufal kind of, I don't know if it's because of the way the build-up's usually down the left and what they expect and Cresswell's crossing ability, but Sufel gets a lot more down the side and down to the byline than than we get, we get on the left, doesn't he? Yeah, I think, well, in, in large part, it's probably just due to his mobility. I mean, Cresswell is obviously a bit older and he's he's never really been the fastest uh, fullback regardless, but it's certainly in the last three seasons we've seen that sort of pace drop off. And I think it's not just about being able to bomb down the down the flank which Sufal obviously can do but it's then the recovery pace as well to get back and if Cresswell does commit to the to get to the byline it, he's got no hope of really getting back against yeah. a, a young usually a younger faster winger so I think he just has to be more cautious in, in what he commits to because he's he has to think one step ahead um, hence why we tend to see him cross from deep uh, as compared to Sufal mm. who, who likes to get to the byline and whip in um, crosses either floated ones when Suchek's on the pitch or those low cutbacks that we saw to burn uh, at the weekend which I thought actually were pretty effective and it, it wasn't just a one-off as well I, th- I think mm. it, it, we saw him do it quite a few times so I think it probably was um, purposeful but maybe just not super accurate and <laughs> and eventually it found its way to there in, in, in terms of that we've got you suspect Maswaku well certainly not a left back if he can't get in the team over Ryan Fredericks at left back I guess and Fredericks looks like he's on the way out as well so you, you think we probably recruiting one probably a left back considering Johnson is naturally a, a right back what kind of 
player do you think we'd be looking for in that then? I mean, I'm screaming for pace, but I, I guess that's a, that's, that's a quite a, a expensive attribute to put on top of all the other things we need. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's, it becomes really easy to like uh, crave pace when you watch Sufal doing all the stuff he does so well on the right. And it's easy to think, Oh, well, let's just get another, carbon copy essentially that has a left foot rather than a right foot and we'll just have two fullbacks bombing up and down uh, each flank but that's it firstly it would completely unbalance our team in, in build up because the way we like to build up and the way Moyes historically has built up um, I mean you can go all the way back to his Everton days I think we've maybe talked about this before but the role that Baines played is, is very similar to the role that Cresswell played um, and that sort of desire to build up create triangles on the left before switching over to the right and having you sort of uh, more attacking threats in in Bowen who's obviously one of our primary goal scorers but then also an overlapping fullback so you can in theory have a quick switch and then get into those spaces as the the opposition defensive focus they're defending on your left side it opens a lot of space and that's where the pace needs to lie so I think for me the sort of profile of defender that I'd be looking for uh, if we are to bring in a left back which I think really should be if if not top certainly top three on our shopping list this summer because Cresswell's not getting any younger and mistakes have started to creep in into his game more and more this season I think everyone would agree so it is it's yeah a complete necessity to replace him if not to start the first game of next season to eventually come in compete and overtake him in that starting 11 so I think then you look at what does Cresswell bring to this team well for me the most obvious one is his ability to link from the defensive third to the midfield third and sometimes the final third so not necessarily being able to bomb up and down the wing um, and carry the ball but to be able to link up a play into the likes of Rice at left centre mid or four nows further ahead of him so passing progressive passing metrics passing to the final third success and also obviously less so frequency but if you can find a player who's doing it almost as frequently then you know that they've taken on a similar role at left back mm. for their current team so it's not just about ability but it's about having confidence to to come in and, and replicate the similar sort of role that Cresswell's been playing um, and yeah I mean pace would be great obviously because then we can commit to playing a higher line and, and we have more recovery pace and ultimately I think that should in theory come anyway because we're going to be signing a hopefully a much younger left back yeah. I mean at least five years younger but I'd be looking at around the 25 to 26 mark pr pr preferably depending on who's out there if not younger uh, assuming they've obviously got the quality uh, and then I think the obvious uh, third one is is delivery on crossing I mean um, Cresswell's actually not as good a crosser from open play as people like to think I think because of how good his set piece delivery is it kind of overshadows the fact that a lot of his crosses actually get blocked uh, <laughs> and then, yeah. But, yeah so if you can find someone who has a better crossing success rate I think Cresswell's is something like 26 and Sifal's is up near the 40 percent so if we are going to choose one attribute if Sifal's to replicate on that left side then the crossing would would be nice um, but yeah I think those three for me would be uh, the keys with the progressive passing being the most important Obviously, defending is important, but I didn't feel like that was that necessary <laughs> to mention. <laughs> I feel like if you're going to sign a defender, it helps. If I asked you to throw out a single name off the top of your head, have you got one there in the chamber? No, I know Jack's you must have. <laughs> Jack's got one ready. <laughs> I mean, if I'm thinking back to your to the to January, um, I can't remember the name of David, someone or something like that. There's a Sosa, Burn Sosa as well. Burn Sosa, yeah, he's good hesitant so David Realm's the one you're thinking of. he's had a great season he's dropped off a bit the second half of the season um, but both of them 
are playing as wing backs with three center backs and uh, okay. th- there's always a bit of a red flag mm. to consider when you sign a player to play in a back four because there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to transition and take on that role. Um, for me, someone I've been a fan of for a couple of years now is Douglas Santos, who's playing out in Zenit. Uh, he's a bit older than the person that Jack's going to recommend and, and the person that Jack's going to recommend would be my first choice. But I think Douglas Santos is someone to keep an eye on um, just so I can let Jack talk about his boy. You don't have to uh, buggy yourself by giving <laughs> a rubbish recommendation so uh, I get the easy one. No, no, I think Douglas Santos would be good, man. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get a move eventually, uh, particularly given where he's playing. Uh, but then someone who had flagged up earlier for me when I was doing some metric searches was, I think, Taylor, who plays for Celtic. He's a young left back. Yeah. I don't actually know how good he is, but m- numbers wise, his passing is pretty much identical to Cresswell's. He's a younger model and he and he seems to also be able to bomb up and down that left flank. So I think Greg Taylor maybe is his name. So I think yeah. he's someone I'm going to do some video on and have a look into. But over to Jack. <laughs> We had a look at um, Douglas Santos. Uh, I think we might have spoken about him in January on here. And, and, and one of the things we we, we came up against there and, uh, is that there's a little bit of a discrepancy between um, his data and, and sort of in reality what's trans, um, transpiring on the pitch because he's playing with Artem Tuber up front. And that means that he's getting accredited with a lot of line breaking passes Um when in reality he can clear the ball and it can count as a line breaking pass because the striker's six foot seven or whatever. So um, to be fair to Antonio, he can he can take a ball now. <laughs> yeah, but he's also not near six foot seven. I think no, he's five no. foot ten. <laughs> so slightly different. Um, the, the the player that I've looked at for quite a long time now is uh, is Melvin Bard. It's someone who I've kind of talked about a little bit this season. I've tr- tried to keep some stuff back because I want to write about him over the summer. I want to do a really big piece on why we should sign Melvin Bard over the over the summer. And he stylistically is is very very similar to to Cresswell. Um, I think there's a key area for development. You'd have to get him on the weights a little bit and and build him up. He's a, he's a little bit slight, um, uh, but. In terms of young fullbacks, um, I mean, he's 21 years old. He was brilliant um, at, at Lyon, and for, for whatever reason, Lyon let him go. He's not not the only player that Lyon have let go that's been um, an outstanding youth talent recently. I'm th- mm. pretty sure Guiri was at, at Lyon as well before mm-hmm. before moving. Um, but yeah, Bard has got a, a brilliant ability to pick out. I've seen it a lot, actually, with, oh, who's the striker? Uh, Andy Delort. Um, who moved from Montpellier to, to Nice this season, who makes a lot of uh, runs into the channels. Um, and if you're looking at the kind of thing we do with our strikers, with um, the main number nine making runs into the channels and creating space for the winger to then operate um, and make runs on the exposed side, side of the defence, Bard is really, really good at picking out um, those runs in behind. And if you think about what Cresswell does a lot of the time from left back, it's playing those balls um, yeah. bent over the top of the midfield through for, for Antonio. And um, I think, if you're looking at someone in Europe right now who's performing to a really high level um, in that sort of under 23 range, then Melvin Bard's the best player um, and the most stylistically similar uh, left back all ages, actually, that I've been able to find um, to Cresswell. Sounds excellent. It kind of leads us perfectly onto Cresswell. We were talking about Cresswell and he had a different role in the game yesterday as well uh, we've kind of one we kind of discussed but we've have discussed before about whether he's kind of got the ability to do that in a, at a stretch and a push and he played he played reasonably well and it was probably another reason why our passing was better from the back and I suppose a, a bit of a, an advertisement as why you'd want a, a left-sided centre-back who can pass the ball well because Crespo did help us kind of control that side very well um, but what we lack there is 
the height, obviously, and it's a it was a game where technical ability and physical ability were kind of at a contrast. Yeah, I think it's finding that looking forward again, trying to find uh, the balance between the two. Really, I mean, it was it was something we've talked about before regarding Dawson as a as a starter or whether he's a squad player next season. And I think uh, for everything that he's done brilliantly this season alongside Zuma, uh, and and we, he has got better at his passing. I think even just having that left foot there rather than just two right footed players, even that is noticeable in terms of the outballs it gives you. You don't have to worry about changing your body shape to take valuable seconds away and build up when you can just open out and play it out on your left foot or also hit a switch. I think that balance of a right footer next to a left footer is is preferable for me and is something that uh, in a lot of the top teams is 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 already happening and and the the fluidity it brings into your back line is really noticeable. And then yeah, I mean we it's perfect that we've just come on from a section talking about how important Cresswell's progressive passing is. So having that sort of calmness and ability to play vertical passes into the midfield uh yeah well done Chris great hosting uh, <laughs> uh yeah is is really important so I think but yeah you've rightly said I mean it's there's players out there that have aerial presence and that progressive ability but yeah. also every good football team is looking for a tall left-sided centre-back that can ping a pass and that's why you have to pay the the premium money to get those sorts of players and it's interesting I suppose it comes with the caveat that he did often keep passing out to his left to a player who had generally only a right foot and often just gave him the ball back, uh, which was a slightly <laughs> frustrating part of it. It's that we kind of fixed one problem and just moved it slightly further yeah. left. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it was very frustrating in possession, but Fredericks was probably necessary to deal with Saka's pace, uh, yes. given the way that we wanted to set up defensively. I think just briefly to cover that, we played a much uh, higher pressing structure um, than we usually do with the defenders. Um, and that's a bit of a weird thing to say because we didn't press high in terms of actually engaging the ball carrier. Uh, so when Arsenal were, were building up in their defence, we didn't actually actively go and chase the ball. Uh, but we set up with a very narrow, if you're looking at the um, length of the pitch, the, 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 the team was very narrow. Mm. Um, so you had a sort of 4-2-4 four, 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 um, squashed into the middle third um, with either Cresswell or Zuma going with Nketiah when he dropped in. And then that obviously creates the space to to go in behind for Martinelli or Saka. So having someone who's got exceptional recovery pace was crucial to being able to play that system, especially when you've got Noble in the midfield alongside Rice and both of them are pushing forward to stop Xhaka or Odegaard from being able to turn in the half spaces. Um, So yeah, I mean... I think the system worked really well and Frederick was necessary to make that happen defensively, but it did cost us a lot going forward. It's interesting. Mm. I, I, before we move on from that, I really, I thought it was really interesting watching the way Zuma defended in Ketcha and I've never seen him go quite so far and high up the pitch. He really was just chasing a solo man at times. I just, I don't know. Is, is I mean, it's weird to think that that would be just used for Nketiah, who is, can't have been really highlighted as a really, really strong player. It's, I, I don't really know what my question is. I just want to highlight it. <laughs> uh, the reason the reason for that is because the, the, the thing you have to avoid with Arsenal is you have to avoid any situations where Odegaard can carry forwards um, with space in front of him. So Nketiah is kind of the dummy player and that's been the same with Arsenal all season. They did the same thing with Lacazette. Uh, basically, they, they draw attention 
into the half spaces with Odegaard or Xhaka, get you to push on. And then there's the centre forward drops in, receives the ball and then plays backwards into a Saka or an Odegaard or Smith Rowe, whoever it is, whoever's in the most form at the time. Odegaard's really taken it on in the second half of the season and hit kind of an exceptional level of form as a, as a progressive attacking eight with Arsenal. Um, so you kind of have the striker who drops in and if they have the time to receive and then play back into Odegaard and he can carry forwards and pick a pass through to Saka or Martinelli, then you're in real trouble against Arsenal. So it's very, very important to make sure that Enketia doesn't have the time or whatever Arsenal striker is, doesn't have the time to receive turn and then play a pass into Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, whatever. Um, so that's why it's so crucial. And especially if you're going to squash the pitch that much, Basically, yeah. you naturally create the gap because yeah. your your two defensive midfielders go wide. So you haven't actually got anyone holding the centre of the pitch. Um, so it's crucial that your centre-backs go and commit when the striker drops off. And Ketia, to be fair to him, did a really very good job of exploiting mm. the space throughout the game. He started really poorly in the first 20 minutes. And once he realised how he, he needed to play... Um, which was not kind of playing with a combination of the in-behind threat and dropping off, and it was just drop off all the time. Uh, then he started to have a really big impact on the game. Now, I thought it was really interesting watching Ketchup, and I know it's not West Ham, but obviously he looks like he's going for a free in the summer, and he, he kind of pointed as being... I was just going to say that. Free yeah, agent in the he, summer, anyone? <laughs> he, he was pointing as being this kind of only a goal scorer, kind of a, almost like an, an old... Oh, kind of, yeah, a bit of a fox-in-the-box type, and actually he played that role really well, which is... I think he has developed, especially under Arteta in these last few weeks, into more of a complete forward. I think you're definitely right to pick out that he was always very much considered a hmm. six-yard box type striker. And I think the the first few goals, he's well, he's not scored that many goals this season, but from the goals he has scored this season, that sort of confirms that because a lot of them have been sort of tapping. I'm thinking against Sunderland and stuff in the cup, the sort of, yeah. he was just there and the ball fell to him and he was able to poke, poke it in. And, and that just sort of is a bit of confirmation bias because people think he's a poacher and then he scores these poached goals. Yeah. And then it, it sort of reaffirms that notion. But I think we saw, uh, not not only against us, but in a lot of the recent games since Lacazette's been out, he has developed this ability to come in and link play, which I think, as Jack's rightly mentioned, is is crucial to this Arsenal side. And it'll be really interesting to see who they bring in in the summer, because I think uh, as much as they need a goal scorer, um, like a, a focal point number nine, I think it's also, if they're going to carry on this system with where Erdegaard and Saka and Martinelli and Smithrow, whoever attackers play, are so integral to their goal scoring as well it's going to be really important that they do bring in a striker who can who can hold up the ball and, and do that link up stuff so it'll yeah, be an interesting one to see because I know they give Lacazette a lot of a lot of pelters and he doesn't score enough goals but he does do a lot of their kind of dirty work yeah. front. I think it's really interesting for Enketia because I know he's been linked to us it feels perennially like for the last two years he would have been if not us it's mm-hmm. Palace and he certainly I think he'd have been written off by many as that poacher and I guess yeah. at least these last few weeks have shown he's got more to his game it's probably going to make his summer much more interesting I was going to say the rumours the rumours will no doubt come back now because he's had one decent game against us and he's a free so (laughs) absolutely but he's I mean I I think you can see obviously he's developed a lot in training this season Mm. and you see the the different elements of his game that have developed um, even just something that I wouldn't have associated with Nketiah is having the in-game perception to notice how to exploit what the opposition are doing tactically Um, but then again more broadly, and I know, I know it's not an Arsenal chat, but more broadly with Arsenal, I think just as a team, as a squad, you can see how all of the players have developed in that way under Arteta now. And he has got rid of a lot of very talented players. But even, I mean, someone like Rob Holding, who came in, mm. um, he doesn't usually play in a four and usually comes on and plays in a low block five. The job he did 
um, against us in the first half. I mean, we've played the two games, and we're going to talk about Martin Hinteregger later. That 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 we've come up against two centre backs in exceptional form and yeah. and and line breaking form. I mean, that's not something I associate with Rob Holding at all. But <laughs> the amount of times that he picked balls through the midfield, um, and then defensively, how good he was as well, how proactive he was, and then getting his head on everything in in, in the box. Young Craig development as a as a as a squad, <laughs> um, you can see the kind of way that they've got now players who have an understanding of what the system is, but then also how to adapt the system based on what the the opposition are doing. Um, and and Saka just briefly as well. I mean, at times I haven't been so hot on Saka as a, as, as a lot of people have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that at times there's maybe been a little bit too much hype, but then watching him against us and his ability to play long stretches of the game at right wing back and then still be Arsenal's most threatening player going forward whilst being such a competent defender as well is kind of exceptional at his age. I don't think you really ever find players with that ability in both boxes or in both at both ends of the pitch at his age. Um, so he performed really, really well. And I just thought they were quite impressive despite being really nasty. Yeah, they, 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 I was going to say, they, they, you, it's funny because he's always compared to Pep, but that side was such more, such a moise, such a moise t- tint to his side rather than, but there's no Pep really in his, I mean, the Pep side, I suppose you can argue might be more the histrionics because you wouldn't have got that from Moyes, but mm-hmm. they played a pretty similar system, started using a striker who's actually doing a lot more to make space for his wide players who've got the threat who have to work. I mean, it very is, it's very Moyes. Yeah. Moisean, <laughs> I suppose you'd call it. Yeah. Um, I suppose I should try and remember this is a West Ham contrast to bring us back a little bit to some more West Ham. Um, we, we were talking about that kind of technical and physical and do you think that's where people don't like the game being decided in those moments. They don't quite appreciate or don't like the importance of those physical attributes because you could see we didn't have a striker as a main kind of focal point or a target. We lost those headers in the air. We lost some of those kind of physically battles. We probably don't concede on two corners if Dawson's playing, not Cresswell, if Suchek's playing, not Noble. I think it's this, this is probably one of those best examples of you have people decrying Suchek all season and how yeah, I was just going to say the same <laughs> uncredited that work is how all season like I've watched every game twice or three times and and part of what goes into me doing the player ratings that I do and, and the review system is is noting down every key action in a game the amount, I mean, it's just an absurd amount of headers from set pieces out of the box for Suchek in both seasons now. It's, it's, it's ridiculous how good he is at anticipating where the ball is going to go, charging onto it and getting his head on it. And that's how our defensive structure kind of works, really. You've got Dawson and Suchek go and attack the ball and everyone else is blocking. And without those two, I mean, yeah. Zuma was the player who was there to, to go and attack the ball. And, and, and the goal, the first goal is a perfect example of why it's a skill, you know, Zuma's yeah. a big lad. Zuma's got the physical ability to go and do it, but he, he wasn't able to get his head to it because he allowed Anketia, a much smaller player, to get across him, make a block, and then he can't get in front and get his head to the ball. Suchek or Dawson never, ever, ever would let that happen because there wouldn't be... I mean, you watch Zuma when the corner comes in, he's got his head on a swivel, but he's looking at everything around him. For Suchek and Dawson, they'd be doing that, but they'd also have their arms up to say, no one's getting in front of me here. <laughs> It's also, I guess, you we, we it's very specific with the corners, and you're, someone will just just sign another tall player. But um, it's also that kind of threat as well. You don't, you get a lot more nicer passing. It does does look pretty, and you maybe you know Bowen's touch is possibly more assured than Antonio, but he's probably not creating 
the space off him because he's not getting two people following him and he's not bullying someone and moving space. And I guess it's where you find that argument between pretty and attractive and effective. And like it's somewhere combining the two, which is, I suppose, all the best best players have got a bit of everything. And those teams have got enough of a mix of people who could be technically brilliant whilst being physically good. I yeah, think- well, I think... Oh, go on, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I was, it, is, it is very complex and it is about finding that balance. But I think the most easy way to understand it is that we've been at our best this season when we have had Antonio and Suchek in the team and we've lost when we haven't. And that's it's a very dumbed down way of looking at it. But ultimately, I think we kind of have found that balance. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, I don't know, maybe Suchek's not the most elegant passer, but I mean, he, the ball he played in for Bowen against Frankfurt was pretty nice, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's just people like to focus on the negatives with Suchek. I don't know why, because he's, he's really important, but I think it it's only when they're out of the team that it becomes so obvious how integral they are to the system. So I think, I think ultimately that's, that's it for me. I mean, yes, it'd be nice to have a super progressive version of Suchek, but I'm not sure there's many six foot four playmakers out there. And if they are, <laughs> they probably cost about 80 million. So. <laughs> I think, I think the thing I, all I was going to say in terms of looking forward and, uh, and trying to, to find the best uh, balance possible is, is obviously we need to add progressive ability to the back line. Um, that is the, the key thing. I've gone on about it all season. Um, I don't think the midfield is where you, you, you're diagnosing the problem and uh, the right problem in that there's not enough uh, progressive options in build-up, mm. but you're looking at the wrong area to fix it. The right area to look at is in is in defence and in the first part of build-up. So for me, actually, it's a centre-back and it's probably a goalkeeper. It's a goalkeeper who's much more competent, uh, much more press-resistant with uh, and much more able to, to play line breaking passes with regularity with Fabianski when it happens it's like oh my god what's going on you know when he finally picks out a midfielder for him it's much more you know he's much more confident just pinging the ball out on diagonals and that's really where we can look to develop um, progressively and improve our our build-up and that's that's the end for part one but we'll move on to Frank Fart <laughs> oh, I deserve that. Oh, oh that was great. I mean, leave, That's leave got that to go in. in. Leave That's that got to in. Go in. <laughs> we'll go for part two now. And before any of you ask, we're moving on from the refereeing decisions because I don't want to give Mike Dean the time of day and the attention that he clearly, fully feels he deserves and absolutely wants. So we'll go on to Frankfurt and. Uh, well, for me personally, a crushingly devast- a devastating and disappointing defeat that left me in bed until three o'clock in the afternoon the next day. But for normal people who understand the halfway point of a two-legged affair and a one-goal deficit, um, well, there's a lot. There's a lot to look at, isn't there? There's a lot from that game. There's a lot to think about ahead. There's still a game on. Obviously, we go we go to Germany on Thursday. As almost similar position to what we've been in, looking to kind of force our dominance and win it in the second leg. Um, I remember distinctly on Twitter, a feeling of anger emitting from your page, Jack. And now you're a calmer person now, I'm sure, but you weren't happy with how we started. Not just obviously the stupid goal and that part. (laughs) Because who, if you were, it would have been a little bit weird. If you go, yeah, but good start, lads. Good first minute. If you take away the goal. I was chuffed with that. Yeah, no, we started (laughs) fucking terribly, didn't we? There's no way around it. Goal was awful. Just an awful goal to concede. I mean, it's exactly all the things that we looked at. Cal and I talked about before the game, um, put in our uh, 
pre-match preview. Um, that's what Frankfurt do. They want to draw you onto an overloaded side, uh, naturally create the underload on the other side, and then commit a late runner into the space, uh, hit the space, and then that player either shoots or crosses. And we talked about it a lot with Kostic, but it's exactly the same on the other side with Knauf, just less regular that Knauf scores or assists so many goals because he's not got the same quality as Kostic. Mm. Um, but they did... It's a carbon copy of of a Frankfurt move that's been run time and time and time again all season. Um, so to have not identified that in your preparation for the game and to not be prepared for a, for a switch when the ball gets into the final third, literally in the first minute, um, is just to me it's just bemusing. Uh, do, you, do you pin that on four nows for not being ready for the run, or do you mean overall? as a kind of feeling of how the team was set out. Oh, no, I don't give a shit about the players. For me, it's the, the coaching staff. I mean, for, if, if the, the first and last thing I would be saying at the start of the week when you start your training sessions for it, and the last thing I'd say before they went out would be be aware of the switch in the final third because it is their primary attacking move. So I, I, either their communication is so poor that the players weren't aware of it when they walked out onto the pitch, or they actually just didn't communicate it enough to the players in, in, in the week. There's no way they can't have identified it because it's the most obvious thing about Frankfurt. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I put on in the review that they did exactly the same thing to Barcelona. Uh, Barcelona fell for it in exactly the same way. Um, get sucked into the, that overcommitment early in the game um, and and are not switched on on the opposite side. And that often happens from kickoffs and stuff like that because you, they're, they're often very sort of rehearsed moves and Frankfurt are very, very good at exploiting that um, early in matches. Um, so it was really, really disappointing as a goal to concede. Obviously, individually within that, Declan Rice has got to stop Kamada. I mean, Kamada, he can't run 30 yards unopposed without anyone engaging him. That's ridiculous. So for me, the big mistake is Declan Rice. And then beyond that, Fornals can't just allow Knauf to run past him on the blind side. Saw a lot of people saying Cresswell's got to do better for me. Cresswell is not part of the issue at all whatsoever. He's got to track. We're playing a back five in the game. Therefore, his man is Jesper Lindstrom. He goes Mm -hmm. with Lindstrom. I don't really know what people expect him to do. Um, If he stays out, on the left, then Lindstrom's going to be in acres of space in the middle of the box. So he has to drift across. But that's, you know, again, that's just how Frankfurt play against you. That's what they force you to do. So um, it was disappointing from a, from a coaching perspective, but then also obviously from an individual um, perspective and individual mistakes in the first minute of the game. Um, and then systemically, we played a 5-2-3 for, for 60 minutes that was about as dysfunctional as you could imagine defensively. <laughs> so like the, I, mean, I, I, I posted at the game about, about 20 minutes in, if you'd asked me how to set up against, like what is the worst way to set up against Frankfurt, the, the, the way that they would most like a team to set up against them with the most gaps for them to exploit, it would be a 5-2-3 in exactly the way we played it. A 5-2-3 that transitions into a 5-2-1-2. It was absurd thing to do just a mad thing to do i understand how it could have helped us transition quickly through them and you know we talked about it saying how we could see how the game would settle with a 4-2-3-1 against their 5-2-3 and how 
the game would then potentially be really volatile if we tried to match up. And it was really volatile mm. because we tried to match up. We had absolutely no control over a lot of periods of the game. Um, and it was so, 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 so easy for, for Frankfurt to progress down the half spaces. I've never, I've, I, I can't think of a game where you've got talented players like Kamada and Lindstrom picking up the ball inside their own half and being able to literally progress to the edge of the box without anyone ever engaging them in the half space, which is the most dangerous area on the pitch for those players to be in. It didn't make any sense to me to, to allow all of that room. And then Frankfurt, to be honest, did a pretty good job of dealing with our, um, with our quick transitions. When we look to do what they do really well in a slightly different way, being a little bit more direct and looking to go straight over the top or in behind, um, they were very good defensively. Hinteregger and, uh, and Torre or Hinteregger and Tuta, whichever would be the two left deepest, would commit very high um, and did a very good job of squashing that space, not not really allowing those runs in behind um, and caught us offside loads of times. Um, so... Um, it was just frustrating. I, could, I just couldn't understand why we set up in that way. Um, and I especially couldn't understand why we set up in that way because of how obvious it was when we went to a four that we were so much better. Um, it just made it even more clear to me that it was bonkers that we'd done that for an hour. I mean, it would have been bonkers if we'd done it for five minutes and changed, but the fact that we left it for so long, um, it's just weird. So it was. do you think it was a notable improvement when we started to go back to that four and focus more on what we were going to do rather than what they were doing. Yeah, absolutely. It was much better. It was much, and, the, and the mad thing is, is you would only play the five really if you wanted to negate their threats going forward, but we were much better defensively when we went to a four. They, they, had, they had the one chance with Kamada on, on the hmm. break, but other than that, they were barely in the game once we went to a four. What was even more baffling for me, especially, was how excited I was before the game when I saw the lineup because I instantly was like, yes, back four. Yeah. You see those defenders and then, and like we had the one worry going into the match was that we wouldn't have the personnel to, to play a back four. So we'd be forced into playing a back five. We had the personnel and we still neglected <laughs> to play the system that we all thought the lineup suggested we were going to play. So I think that was just doubly infuriating, but, but yeah, I think it, if you're going to take a positive, it is that we looked so much better in the four and hopefully we'll, the coaching staff will have seen that and going into the second leg, we can hope for a much better performance, setting up in the right shape and presumably learning from the mistakes that we've made and that cost us so dearly. I, I suppose you can argue that there's a possibility Zuma's availability came quite late and so we must have had to train in a different system if we weren't sure. I, I mean, that's all guesswork, I suppose. Uh, according to Moyes himself, Zoom was in training from Monday and the first Frankfurt session would have been on Monday. So no excuse. there's no excuse for it whatsoever. And and we did talk about the possibility of playing a five, but even talking about that, we would have talked about a 5-4-1 rather than a 5-2-1-2 five, two, two, or 5-2-3. Two, yeah. to, to leave that many players up the pitch and to have no protection for the wing-backs in front of them is just a mad thing to do against the quality that they've got in those um, positions outside the striker with Commander and Lindstrom. But it's interesting because you get get into that situation where Fornells is a, an attacking player who's quite good defensively and you see possibly the difference between a defender and attacking player who can be quite good defensively at times is that they're not going to be switched onto those things and you're almost taking the risk if you're relying on them. And that's what we did. We relied on him to be a switched on defender in that system and he's not. And you suddenly get that exposed and maybe eight times out of 10, he's actually quite good on that. Uh, but that's not his role and that's not what he's good at. And in terms of kind of positives then, and we've 
we've i think that's covered my note of jack pops off um <laughs> <laughs> and you criticized it um bowen had a very good a very unlucky game i mean you, you could barely come closer than ever so slight touch of a foot that diverts it onto the post and not being able to bounce off the arse it bounced off and go back into the goal <laughs> after that incredible overhead kick so we obviously he had those big chances but what was it he did well that made such a notable performance well, I mean, one of the things we, we talked about pregame was how uh, Frankfurt liked to commit the lateral centre-backs quite high up the pitch um, and press really aggressively in the wide spaces. And when we spoke about that, we said the key thing is about um, playing really quickly um, in those wide areas um, because you can exploit those overcommitments um, if you're able to get in behind the centre-backs. Um, and then secondarily to that we also talked about trying to get players like Bowen and Lanzini running directly forwards at Hinterega or whoever's uh, left back at the point that they can suck someone in and get round um, on the inside and um, Bowen did that really effectively he showed a really good understanding of how to play against that kind of high press uh, receiving uh, and then often using the, um, his body really well to draw the player in on um, his outside and then fainting uh, and coming in on the inside and then being able to dribble forwards uh, and whether that's winning free kicks or then being able to run at the exposed defence um, that was one of the the, the, the things that went really well for us in, in both systems. Um, he had a really strong individual performance throughout. Really, really unfortunate not to score. It's an incredible save from Trap on the first one. I think a lot of people were uh, frustrated with him for missing a 1v1, but the finish is perfect. It's you know, it, it, 99 times out of 100 that, that goes in. That's very rare that the keeper's able to, to get the studs of their back foot onto it enough to, to divert it onto the post. It's a brilliant save. Um, but yeah, just a really, really strong performance in understanding how the opposition play and therefore how to exploit uh, the space in behind, which was the key thing going into the game offensively. I thought he, one thing he did do, and it seemed to expose their frailties a little bit and no one else does, he, he was quite happy to run directly at them, which we don't have a lot of players that do that, uh, Cal. And he, it was a game where you could see him thrive in that respect. We didn't do any men near enough of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there, really. But I think if we're looking at more sort of positives going into the next game, it's picking out the things that did work and making sure we exploit them even further because mm. there are gaps that, that we can exploit. And Bowen will be absolutely crucial going into this next game, and especially if Sufau's in there on that side as well. I'd like to see that link up. Uh, and I think they could probably bring each other into the game. I think having that overlapping run, if you think of Bowen carrying towards that, defence bringing it inside dragging the centre back in with him and then Sufal coming back on the overlap assuming that he gets there before Kostic because Kostic is already pinned so high up I think that could add a, a new dynamic to the attack which would be really promising and I think uh, like Jack's already said and it was something that he did quite well in the Arsenal game I thought as well is his sort of <laughs> kind of ironically given the context of the Ramsdale situation which we didn't and shouldn't discuss but his ability and willingness to draw contact and win free kicks in dangerous positions which I think is can often go under the radar because often you, I don't know, you think of someone getting fouled and it can be a bit frustrating because you'd be like, oh, you could have beat your man or why didn't you get past them and stuff. But in a team that are so good aerially and have players that can deliver a ball like Cresswell into the box uh, and win headers, it's a, it's a very good and very effective mm. way for us to try and score goals. It's something we're really good at, so we should look to exploit it. So having someone like Bowen, um, it's, it almost becomes a tactic of just run at them, try and get into that final third in a wide area, get brought down, and then we've got 
almost a better chance of scoring because in in many respects we're more dangerous uh, doing that than we are from trying to build attacks in open play so I think that aspect of his game was really good and I think one thing that I'd like to see him do more I saw glimpses of it um, in the game was uh, when I think there was one moment in the first half definitely that stood out but it was when he was pressing the lateral centre-backs rather than just running directly at the ball where just to try and press them and force them to make a move he was sort of running onto their uh, weak opposing shoulder, if that makes sense, and closing the angle. So you can't, what Frankfurt like to do is play it between their three centre-backs in a straight line, basically, rather than sort of cutting one man out. And I think he recognised that by sort of forcing him to go up the line and then we'd have Dawson or Johnson come and engage it. And rather than being allowed to play it into Kostic's feet, it didn't happen that much. But when it did happen, I remember being sat there thinking, OK, we need to do more of that because it, it stops them from being able to play it into the feet of Kamada or uh, into into Kostic's feet on the wing, who then when they do get it, we saw Kamada and how able he is to turn into that um, middle of the park and carry it further up the field. Whereas if we're forcing them to play it long, Unless it's Hinteregger, <laughs> then, then um, it's it's much less effective than come out of carrying it through. Uh, but yeah, Hinteregger, on the other hand, his long passing was a uh, freakish. I think I've got it down at eighty three percent accuracy, which is just alarming. <laughs> and that's what um, a perfect segue. You could do this this job for me. Um, it, it is where we were going to go on to Hinteregger, and he who uh, said to you to in my. To, to beforehand that in my head he's a, he was a bit of a clogger. I remembered his face and thought I remember him. He's not that good. Range of passing he was finding kind of driven low flats and pacey balls through midfield or into midfield were a problem, let's say. Massive, massive problem. And I'm I'm I talked about it uh again pre-match and said that one of the that's one of the things they look to do is is they will look to play very direct um through Hinterega when they can't build on the flanks. Um whether that be over the top into the channels or directly into the feet of the forwards. Uh, and they're happy to turn over possession in those situations and create a counter-pressing opportunity or to attack directly off of it. Um, and Hinteregger's distribution is exceptional. Um, and, and actually, it's not just his distribution because his positional awareness uh, for someone who doesn't have a turn of speed is next level. The amount of times he got himself in the right position to be able to stop a run in behind or be able to stop a player who was going in behind mm. um, without having the pace to match them in a foot race was was brilliant. And I thought we would be able to exploit that much better. But obviously his awareness of how to um, anticipate those situations is, is, is far greater than I expected it to be. Um, so his performance was really strong. And I think one of the possibly the key takeaway actually from the first leg is we have to press him. We didn't press him um, for the first hour or so. Again, definitely not in the first half at all. Um, and that gave them gave him far too much time to then effectively, and it's weird to say for a centre-back, but to, to, to run the game from that position. And like so, a quarterback, wasn't he, really? Yeah. Just yeah. That. He did. He was kind of, kind of time to pick those passes out. So we, we need to press them. What What is it we're looking to do then that we didn't do in that game? specifically obviously press him but is there a is there a player is there a tactical twitch a switch even is there something different we need to be looking at well if you look at i mean we set up with a 5-2-3 right in the, in the first half mm. and and that meant that and that was with lanzini in the middle of that so that's a, a false nine uh pressing option in in the middle of the three um and and, it, and that leaves you with a unit of three to press um and you've got your two wing backs who are pinned um to the 
opposition wing backs. Um, and because it's Frankfurt, they like to commit the wing backs extremely high. So your wing backs are pinned quite deep. Um, and that means it meant for a lot of the game, basically it was quite easy to get the ball through to, um, one of so or road or played direct into into any of the front three when they drop off. Uh, Kamada did a brilliant job of it throughout the game, dropping off and receiving and turning. Um, and so, so we had some pressure, more pressure on on Tuta and Torre, uh, but because Lanzini was having to do this kind of uh, hybrid job of of identifying situations where he can go forward and press into Rega, but then also being aware that he's got a screen road, he's got a screen so he's potentially got a screen commander if they come in. The midfield can only deal with sort of so much in there because they're outnumbered because they can create 2v3 or even 2v4 situations very easily with commander and Lindstrom potentially dropping off together. Um, so that basically meant that we were often not really fully committing to the press and also not really fully committing to, to the mid block. And that meant it was quite easy to play through us. Um, one of the alterations that Cal's already kind of talked about a little bit is in the second half, we moved to uh, much more of a 5-2-1-2 structure for the press or a 5-3-2 structure for, for the press before we changed to a four. Mm. And that pressing structure was much more coherent because effectively what we wanted to do is we wanted to force the ball into Tutor or Torre rather than Hinterega. So A, Hinterega, you're not going to have any time on the ball. We want you to play wide because you're rushed into Tutor or Torre. And then we're going to screen off all the balls back across the defence. So, and then that forces Tutor or Torre to then advance forwards themselves or play a pass forwards themselves with neither quite having the same quality, penetrative quality to be able to pick out teammates in the final third. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that that did for us that was really useful is it forced Tutor onto the ball quite a lot in the second half and Tutor Whilst Tutor's a bit of a funny player, I haven't seen much of him before, but he seems to think he's got the ability to play uh, line breaking passes all the time, and he often plays quite high risk. Um, yep, high value. Is that you? Yeah, he <laughs> often plays high risk, high value passes, and uh, often gets them wrong. Uh, and that created really nice counter pressing situations for us, or uh, turnover situations in the middle of the pitch for us, where when where then we could attack off of that at their exposed backline. So it's adjusting the press in that way so that they can't play it across the defence or give Hinterega time. And then the second thing definitely with the four that you see that manages to keep them penned in in a way that we couldn't with the five is that by adding an extra player to the pressing system then you can really limit the options and I spoke about it pre-game they really lack quality in the midfield area Road is nowhere near as good I mean he's a decent player but he needs a lot of time to be able to pick his passes and if you keep him under pressure he can't dictate a game so if you stop Hinterega from distributing and you stop Road then they're down to much more limited options for how they progress the ball. That's interesting, and it's 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 brought up something. And I, I I feel like Jack and I discussed this possibly in the Chelsea bit last week. I'm not sure it's come up anyway, and it's kind of Lanzini's role. And if 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 not discussed here, it's one of you on Twitter. Kind of he's not he's not an eight, he's not a ten, he's not quite fulfilling enough of the extra stuff that we need from him to get away with maybe the lack of pace, the lack of creativity. What do you do about that? Short term and long term, do you think, Cal? I mean, if you've 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 said top left backs top three priorities is your eight mm-hmm. ten top three as well uh no it's, it's probably four but it's 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 definitely <laughs> so i've got striker back. yeah striker <laughs> left left-sided center back and and left back would all be above it yeah. but 
I think my problem with Lanzini is that he is essentially playing a role in our team, which it's not uh, luxury player isn't the right word, but the role he has to play is is primary creator. Basically, we're looking at him to be the link between the middle third and the final third, because Rice's passing, as we've talked about before, it can be good, and he has the ability there, but he doesn't seem to want to do it that often. Maybe because that responsibility is given to Lanzini. Uh, Suchek is not. A, a, that is not the most outrageous get out of jail card I've ever seen in my life. What? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, it's not my fault I'm not passing well. It's because I want Lanzini to pass well. No, no, but as in, no, like, I don't think I do that's his responsibility. He's he's deeper, so he's playing these deeper passes and he can do it, but he doesn't do it as often because Lanzini's the one that's tasked with making the link between the midfield and the attack. But frankly, he doesn't do it well enough. So I don't, moving forward next season, that is a position that if we're going to play this system, we need to upgrade on because the person who we're given the responsibility to make that link doesn't have the ability to to do that role effectively because he doesn't offer that much else anywhere else. So to be able to carry a player like that, they need to excel in the one thing that is their like primary role, but he's not doing that. So I wouldn't really be comfortable like having him sticking around there because he's not like a, I don't know, I mean, we're not going to get a Thiago type, but that's the obvious one that comes to Mm. mind just for the sake of comparison. I think Lanzini's average throughout the course of this season is five passes to the final third per 90. And he's playing a similar role, albeit nowhere near as good as Thiago in that he's linking the attack in the midfield. Thiago is averaging 15.6 passes to the final third per 90. Yes, we play different systems. Yes, different amounts of the ball, but a 10, 10 pass difference is, is quite substantial. So I'd want to see a bit of an uptick uh, in that. And then when you get into the defensive side of it and sort of his pressing is hit and miss I think to say the least <laughs> um, I, yeah it's it's a definite position we need to upgrade but largely because I just don't think he's creative, as creative as people think maybe because he's living on past experience but I mean that player he was before the bad injury he was a brilliant number 10 and I think maybe that reputation is still sticking with him but I don't think he's quite the player that he was it, Maybe it would be too harsh. <laughs> it would only be fair of me if I was going to call you awkward for putting that as fourth pick to call, call Jack awkward for picking you up on that Rice Lanzini point. Um, what, <laughs> what, what about you, Jack, on that four? I mean, is there is there an option within the squad to make a difference in that role, let alone moving forward? Um, I think just on, on, on the point more generally about Lanzini before I talk about what we have, I think... Um, I think it's, a, it's perhaps a little bit harsh to say he's not not quite the player. I mean, he obviously isn't quite the player as well. I don't think I don't think it's that the reputation that he had is still with him. I think we saw him come back into the side um, this season with a real bang. Actually, I mean, the goals at Crystal Palace and, and the and the final third impact he was yeah. offering when he first came back in was was really impressive, and and actually. That was a bonus, really, because more what we were looking at with Lanzini was that he gave us control. Uh, mm-hmm. And and we, this season, have, have kind of morphed a little bit more. It's been a small change, uh, uh, but in terms of the data, I think it's quite a small change, but a little bit more into a more possession-comfortable side. I wouldn't say possession-dominant, yeah. but a little mm-hmm. bit more possession-comfortable. And... In terms of the personnel we had to go through that transition, um, I think we saw a lot at the start of the season of Rice trying to be a, a real final third impact player and trying to carry us in that way. And there was this sort of awkwardness about it um, mm-hmm. in terms of it 
kind of not helping us defensively and not really helping us offensively either. And we were sort of halfway between being a little bit more possession dominant and then also having all the traits that we had before, which were being more direct, crossing the ball, trying to get those those players free in deeper areas to to swing crosses in. And then Suchek wasn't there and we weren't quite sure what we were doing. Lanzini came into the side and definitely gave us an identity that I think we lacked beforehand. Um, the problem is, is as we've kind of developed with that identity and really taken on that role and he's become much more of a key player and we've moved much more in that direction of being that more possession. I mean, look at the, I mean, we played Arsenal and had more possession than them and mm. limited them by playing with the ball to mm. having less XG than they have done for months. Um, so as we've become more that kind of team, Lanzini's been instrumental to that and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. The problem is, is now that he's taken us there, his limitations are now being exposed on the other side of that, which is that he can give us the kind of control and tempo to play in that way. And he can get us into the final third by his contributions, by dropping into midfield, giving that extra option to Rice and Suchek, taking some of the burden off of them. And then we can get into the situation like we did against Arsenal, where we can actually keep teams penned in quite well in games problem is is then once we're there we don't have a turn who offers anything in and around the box no no penetration at so, all so can you can you think four nails can be that player four nails should be that player yeah. four mm-hmm. nails has got the quality to be that player the problem is for me is four nails as a 10 offers us a different kind of pressing approach and defensive mm-hmm. approach to the one that we use with Lanzini. So therefore you're looking at melding or molding together. I you can't find the word, but yeah. you know, putting those two systems together in terms of our defensive off-ball approach and our on-ball approach with Lanzini versus with four nails in the 10 position. With Lanzini and Antonio, we tend to play a little bit more of a screening 4-4-2 style. You can have the ball when we win it, we're then going to take over and we're sort of going to pass the ball in the middle third to the point that you drop off and then we'll use Bowen or Antonio to exploit in the final third. And we've actually struggled to create enough. There have been some teams that we've done that brilliantly against. Norwich comes to mind. I know they're not brilliant but the strength of the performance against Norwich in terms of on the ball in midfield and how we exploited those spaces was really, really good. And that's part of the reason why we've moved in that direction. The, the other thing in terms of Fornals is that Fornals is a very good left winger for this side. A lot of people talk about him wanting, you know, wanting him to come into the 10 position. I understand him as a 10 in the big games. I love him as a 10 against Liverpool. I love him as a 10 against um, a Chelsea. I'm not sure I love him that much as a 10 when you're against a Burnley or, or, or so. I'm not sure I particularly like him in that role in, in those kinds of games. He doesn't, for me, similarly to Lanzini, but not as marked, doesn't offer enough goal threat um, and carrying threat from mm. the from the 10 position. Now, I think Vlasic was signed to be this guy who is going to be able mm. to transition us between into that nice halfway spot where we could be possession comfortable, but still be direct and still counter very quickly. You know, Lingard gave us that. We finished last season so strongly, and that's clearly looked to be this is the direction this team needs to move yeah. in in terms to be a top to be a top six competitive side that can compete at that level and be comfortable at that level. Without Lingard and without Vlasic really being able to step into that role because he hasn't performed this season, we've kind of got a square pace round hole situation where we've moved stylistically in one direction, but we don't really have the personnel to support that. Um, and Lanzini 
for all um, of his talent and for all of his brilliant ability in terms of getting us into the final third, he doesn't offer enough once we're there. And then secondarily, and what's really crucial for me is that you could see him then moving back as an eight and saying, okay, he can be an eight in the squad. Problem is, is he can't scan. No. And, yeah. and we've been, and, and this has highlighted got, it multiple times. We've, we've highlighted it multiple <laughs> times, but this has become almost endemic. Like, it's so bad now. I mean, I'm watching the games um, recently and it's like literally every two minutes I'm marking him down as a failure to scan and an overpress and therefore someone's run off the back of him. Mm-hmm. It's happening constantly in games you're looking at literally up to 15 to 20 times that he's overpressed because of the because of his inability to look behind him enough so he doesn't know what's happening behind him he commits to a press against the center back and then the ball just travels straight past him to a creative midfielder that has run off the back of him and he's got no awareness of the run if he's doing that and he has that inability you cannot play someone like that at eight you, you just will not get away with it against anyone that's got any good players on the ball in central areas. Against the Burnley, brilliant. You know, fantastic. That's going to work because they've got what? Jack Cork, Cork and Brownhill in central midfield. They're not going to exploit you in that way. Against anyone who's got any kind of technical or incisive ability in the middle of the pitch, you will get horribly exploited playing him in that position. So it's very difficult to see going forward what his role in the squad could be. I just, I just not not for my own idea. There are people who would say we we have a number ten who possibly does add a goal for it, creativity. Um, but if we're going to talk about a lack of discipline, say Ben Rama. Now, would you would you dare play him there? Either of you, generally or or or, or in the short term, uh, both. I'll let I'll let you go. I mean, because obviously he came on and he had. I don't know how to describe his impact against Frankfurt because he had a, he had a very Saeed Benrahma impact where he mm. did so many things really good until the thing that really mattered. It actually didn't <sighs> matter with Saeed Benrahma coming on against Frankfurt because the end ball wasn't important in terms of what he came on to do. His okay. directness forced yeah. them to sit deeper. Definitely, yeah. And that gave us control of the game. So in terms of his impact on that game, although it was frustrating and though his final ball or his shot was was really poor in a classically Ben Rama way, it was a perfect performance in in some ways because he gave us control of a game that we had no control of before. We've done uh, that in Europe before. So it was a severe he came on. It just forced them 10 yards back. Exactly. Yeah. And, and he can be a really important player like that. For me, that's where he is. That's the maximum. He can be a, yeah. a player off the bench who can rebalance games when you don't quite have the control you're looking for and you're looking for someone to just provide that additional threat in the final third that makes a fullback think, I might go five yards back a little bit here and be a little bit more uh, defensive. And that's that's what he can really, really offer us. Playing as a 10, um, I'm sorry, off the ball, that is a disaster and has been in nearly every time he's been in there. There, there, there are reasons why he can be very good in there. His turning ability in central areas, he can be quite incisive. I think it's better than, in for him, I think in those areas he's better than he is on the wing in some ways because he's being forced into these situations all the time now on the wing where he's 1v1 versus, versus a fullback and he hasn't got the pace to take them on the outside. Um, so he's kind of always doing the same thing and now all the fullbacks in the Premier League seem to have clocked onto that and everyone seems to know how to defend him, uh, which is a big problem for him going forward. So offensively, there are reasons why he can be better in central areas, definitely drifting from the left, not sure about starting in central areas. I think there are some reasons why that works quite well. And you saw that at the start of the season. 
But then again, I think that's when we're playing that more direct style rather than mm. the possession comfortable style because he's the 10 that can maybe go beyond Antonio. And I'm thinking back to the Newcastle game, first game of the season, 4-2, where he goes beyond Antonio and, and scores. Um, issue is, uh, like, Lanzini's more of a screener that can't scan. Fornals is a high presser who's not got the most wonderful tackle success rate. And Ben Rama can't really do either um <laughs> so I, I i know cal said at the start for him number 10 is fourth for me number 10 is is kind of the the offensively it's the area to address i think obviously there are longer term reasons we need a center back we need a left back yeah. you know in we, terms of starting positions of what we haven't got we've got Anto- he might he might need support yeah. but we do have him yeah, 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 we've yeah, got yeah. Looking at, for me if you're looking yeah. at the starting 11 that plays next season the most important position to recruit in is 10 because yeah. offensively with the 10 that can contribute off ball in in uh, in the way that Fornals can, but then has the final third threat that Lanzini doesn't, but can also control in the possession comfortable way. Basically, Jesse Lingard. I'm not saying yeah. that he is going to be the yeah. player that does that, but there are players like that that we could we can get. Um, that will that will take us up a, a significant degree um, in level. Um, yeah, so it's it's crucial going forwards. It's very difficult in the short term to say what the answer is because. There, there are problems with all of them. And if you move four nows into the center, which I can understand the arguments for, that means you have to play someone on the left. And I'm not sure Ben Rama is good enough to start. I, I, Vlasic hasn't done enough this season. I can't really see the yeah. use of Lanzini on the left. So I almost think you have to kind of leave four nows on the left and you have to leave yourself with Lanzini in the middle, even though you kind of know going into the game, he's not going to score and he's not going to assist either. He's not going to really do anything for us in the final third. Mm. Uh, sometimes you just see, you hear a question in your head and you go, this will annoy someone. And you just throw a question in uh, just because you want to see what I, And that is, is that, is that's how you make content. <laughs> the Vlasic one that really upsets me. I just, yeah. uh, it's just so sad. It's so disappointing. so meant to be that The guy. idea is there, isn't it? You can see why mm. he's done it. You can see glimpses of him doing it. So we don't see him enough in the centre. I think that's the most it's frustrating thing for me happen. is like, there's a glaring... Glaring may be too strong a word because we have had a good season, but there, there is a clear uh, lack of like threat in that area. And I just, we, I've really, most times we see Vlasic is on the left wing and it just, which is, means that when he doesn't put in a good performance, he then doesn't, he goes down the pecking order and doesn't then get the chances in the next game and the next game to play in that 10. So he's it, kind of, his chance to get into that 10 role is being diminished by the fact that he's being played out of position and therefore can't show his ability, which is what's most frustrating to me. But then I also get that if he comes on and doesn't perform, then you, your hand is kind of forced, but maybe mismanagement to a degree. But yeah, I personally think he sees him in training every week and there's a reason why yeah. Yarmolenko is coming on in the latter stages of a game against Arsenal rather than Vlasic. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but at the, and, and at the same time, I kind of think uh, he's a bit being a bit too static at times. Uh, there are really serious issues with him defensively that haven't seemed to come far enough this season. Um, mm. You know, I remember looking at them in the Liverpool game that we lost 1-0 where he played and he had quite a good impact in some ways. But defensively, there are just these kind of really glaring errors mm. that just pop up from time to time. And I can kind of see why Moyes would look at that and go, I can't put you in at number ten because you you you're you're 
your whole defense the way you defend this you always set the tone with your with your number 10 and a striker in a in a 4-2-3-1 and if your 10 is failing you defensively then the entire system behind that is is buggered basically so mm. without him proving that he can do it from from the wing i can't see how he would earn the the 10 shirt and it's a massive yeah. disappointment because it was a big outlay on a player that looked to have all the right attributes um and it just has massively not come off this season. Mm. No, and I suppose we, we hope that there's still one of those that can have time, maybe a proper preseason, regardless, yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah. Talking about mm-hmm. players who can find attacking space and be dangerous in that attacking space, with the possibility that Frankfurt are without Jesper Lindstrom on Thursday. Now, we're not 100% sure on that, but I think you, so the manager said he's gone off for a scan, you know, you're, you're able to make the assumption there that he's possibly got an injury risk. Um, what happens to Frankfurt if they don't have Jesper Lindstrom? I think it's, it has a huge impact on Frankfurt if they if they lose Lindstrom. I, Kamado was the kind of eye-catching player in, in the first leg, but for me, the way that that, that, that attacking unit functions is all about Lindstrom and his perception of space and his ability, A, a off the ball and his his threat when pressing, which is so evident um, and you have to be so careful um, with him. And he's such an intelligent presser. And then on the ball, his, I mean, the second goal is kind of a perfect example. He doesn't do anything particularly eye-catching, but he picks out the half space in front of the box, moves into it, not very quickly, just in the kind of ambly way so that no one really gets nervous about it or, or picks him up receives the ball, takes one touch, plays so through, and then Kamada scores on the rebound um, from Ariola's save. And none of that happens without Lindstrom having that. It's almost, with him, it's almost like, um, I remember like watching Fernandinho and he'd always get away with the kind of fouls on, on, on counters mm. and just would walk away from the ref in the right way that he never got a yellow card. Lindstrom yeah. just sort of ambles into the half space in the perfect way so that no one gets nervous about it and runs out to pick him up he's always got those that kind of nice little two and a half yards around him to have enough time to use his undoubted quality to then pick out a nice pass to a teammate um and then you see i mean the drop-off was so evident when hoga came on jens peter hoga came on and, and was like by far the worst player on the pitch um, <laughs> I, I gave him before in my ratings he gave the ball away nearly every time he got it nearly all of his pressures were unsuccessful. He was often overcoming to pressures because he's clearly trying to impress and win more minutes. Um, and if he plays and you have that, it, it's such a disciplined structure. That's the point. It's, it, mm. it, it, it's not really about individuals. It's, it's this really well-coached, practiced movements with um, really well-rehearsed pressing structure. And if you've got someone who's not subscribing to that, uh, and overcommitting at different times, it exposes the whole thing. Um, and you really saw that in the last 20 minutes of the game when Hoga was just kind of running around like a madman. So what I say, Cal, that uh, there's not the depth there isn't, isn't there, basically, to replace pieces of the puzzle because their puzzle is so kind of neatly put together. If you take one of those, in, uh, one of those out, they haven't got someone else to step in so naturally. Yeah, I think that's it. He has a he has a very defined starting eleven, uh, and I think Glasner. I think what makes him so interesting is his tactical 
is his tactical brain basically he's built this system that is so uh not only de- heavily dependent on intricate pressing structures and triggers but also rotations between various positions where you see center backs getting crazy advanced positions that you would usually expect central midfielders to occupy mm-hmm. and then wingers to go in and drop into the 10 but also lead the press and sometimes act as a number nine and i think Lind- lindstrom is a uh key part of that and it's also a key part of why they're so difficult to defend against because you don't know who you don't really have an assignment as such because one minute it might be that you're marking Borre but the next minute oh crap Borre's over there do I go oh no Lindstrom's here and it's all these rotations just it's you don't only have to be a good defender in terms of win your tackles or like make your interceptions but mentally you have to be so switched on for the full 90 minutes because you're constantly changing who you're meant to be marking and tracking and and you see that they drag you all over the place and I think that the the first goal yes it was infuriating and yes we should have done better because it's the one thing that I mean if me and Jack are able to pick it up before the game to like just hobbyists on Twitter. If we can highlight that, then the people at the club who are getting paid X amounts a week to to do that for a job should also be able to drill a team to do that. So that was really frustrating, but it was all because of the rotations they have and, and the positions they're able to occupy. Um, I will say though, in the sense, on the flip side of uh, Lindstrom being out and Dicker, uh, they're uh, arguably their best player is now coming back. He's suspended mm. for the first leg. Um, and uh, we talked about the necessity to stop Hinteregger from distributing at the back um, and how it was probably would have been wise to put more of an emphasis on Tutor and Toure. But now Ndick is going to come in, who is by far a better centre-back than, than Hinteregger. I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily a better distributor, but I mean, over the course of the season, he definitely has been. I mean, Hinteregger's long passing, for example, went up by 30% against us. His average was 50 and he's gone up to 83. So I think maybe that's something systematically that we made it easier for him to play those passes and there was more gaps open in the middle because of the shape we played. So the receiver has more time to receive mm. a pass that he might otherwise be challenged for. All things we need to consider going into it. But Ndicka, what he does that the other two... uh didn't necessarily offer is that when there isn't a pass on and Dick is this incredible athlete who is just as capable of carrying it himself through the midfield uh, in in the similar way to uh, difficult to draw comparisons but I know he wasn't a centre-back but the sort of mould of if Toure would drop in deep Yaya Toure I mean would drop in deep and just carry it and just bypass any press and just drag it through and then he's in a central sort of eight position where he can just offset it to a Bore, a Kamada, a Lindstrom or one of the seven midfielders who he's overtaken. So I think that's a double sort of a double threat that he possesses because his progressive passing is as good, if not better than Hinterega, but he's also got the athletic ability to bomb forward with it. And now they can also probably afford to play a higher line as well because they've got a new injection of recovery pace at the back. So yeah, someone to really be aware of. Is is that similar to how we struggled with oh, it was Kunde, wasn't it? Sevilla? Has he got that ability or are we talking slightly different? Different in the, yeah, he's got the ability, but I think Indic is arguably uh, afforded, like able to use it a bit more because of the shape he's in, in the sense that they, they're playing three centre-backs, obviously, so you, you have more of a licence to sort of bomb forward and, and commit because you've got the cover. Whereas I think Kunde, yes, he showed it and he, he was brilliant. But in the system that Sevilla play, I, I would, I mean, gosh, put him in this Frankfurt system. I have no idea he'd be running a mock. But yeah, exactly. Uh, I think I, I, I don't think Kandik is as good a defender as as Kunde is, and I think for all the things that that Cal's brought up with Ndicker and the threats that that that, that he could bring in, in the second leg, 
for me, there's a flip. There's a big flip side to all of that, uh, and uh, <laughs> exactly. So that, that there's two things, and Dicker coming back in for me makes it almost certain that you have to commit an extra man to the press because yeah. we could we could press with the three effectively a little bit more effectively against Interregger, but with them having two options back there yeah. that can progress, we have to commit four players as the pressing unit. Can't see how we'd get away with it if we only committed three players as a pressing unit because you'd either leave Hinteregger with time to play those line-breaking passes or you'd leave Indicker with enough space to be able to just drive through himself. Yeah. Um, either situation would be really bad for us. But when Indicker does drive through in those ways, if you have got the four and you can leave Bowen up or Antonio up in those situations, I think we're quite good actually at leaving Bowen up in those situations and Antonio then coming back and moving to the right wing to defend. Then you can potentially exploit massively on, on the counter and, and Dicker, very talented player, but, it, but, but he is, he's kind of perfect for the system because he loves the overcommitments, but he, you know, he's a little bit rash. Um, and and you saw that rashness with with Tuta um, at, at right centre back in, in the first leg. You'll get the same rashness. I'm sure it'll be Hinteregger and Dicker and, and Torre. But with that combination, you'll have the same rashness now on the left and Torre, who you know I think had a kind of so-so game, not brilliant. You know, not brilliant throughout the first leg, not brilliant progressively, doesn't offer enough on the ball and not actually a good enough defender, easy to dribble past. So if Ndick is making those kind of overcommitments and you've got four players in the pressing unit and then you can win it in the midfield, big, big mm-hmm. chances to get at them in, in those situations. As well, like it's in- notable that Ndick is a left-sided centre-back and they've already got Kostic committed so high up the pitch. So the size of the hole that opens up if you do have Rice winning the ball in midfield or, or Suchet picking up a loose pass, if you can get that speed of turnover that, that we've seen us do so effectively over the course of the last two seasons uh, on occasion, that sort of rapid transition. And you, we know that Bowen's very comfortable carrying the ball up. And if he doesn't get in front of the goal, he'll get brought down before he gets there. And then we're back to where we were last week with a free kick in a dangerous position that we can score from. So I think, uh, yeah, going into the game, be wary of Ndicka's carrying, but also definitely exploit the gaps that are going to be left on that left side because they will be left because they play that system every week and, and it happens that that's just ha- the players they are Kostic is a winger that's playing as a wing back and and Dick is pretty much a CDM playing at centre back that thinks yeah. he's an attacking mid <laughs> and Jakic comes back in right Jakic comes back yeah. in and in some ways people would look at that and this is the thing it's kind of a double-edged thing because they're more talented players Jakic and Ndicka but they're more aggressive yeah. as well so it mm. You know, Jakic will overcommit much more than So did. Jakic will push forward uh, and make crazy commitments in a, in a way that So didn't throughout uh, the first leg. So they will play with less control. And I think um, I, I just I, I just really hope we back ourselves in a way that we didn't mm-hmm. in that first leg. I really hope we back ourselves, go four two three one, and say, look, we're just much better than these, um, and play the way that we know how to with that mid block and winning the ball in central areas and transitioning quickly. We'll score goals. So. I've- the final word for this ahead of what is another biggest game for the club in a long, long time as, as it seems to be piling up and up and up. Um, obviously, I won't give an opinion because we need some optimism. So I'll leave optimism to you two. What, what have you got for me? I, I, I'm quite confident ahead of the second leg. I think, um, I think particularly if Lindstrom is out. I mean, if Lindstrom's back, then it's a different thing. And, you know, maybe then I'm looking at saying, uh, I think we can take it to extra time. And then I think we've definitely got the fitness to beat them in extra time. Um, 
if Lindstrom's out, I think in 90 minutes we can we can beat them. I, I think there's a potential that actually you can blow them away in 90 minutes. I mean, I, I went just as we were talking about, um, as Carl was talking about, and Dicker coming back, I went and had a look at the numbers that I've got from from uh, the first leg. Lindstrom, uh, not a single failed pressure um, in, in the entirety of his performance up until coming off in the 62nd minute. Um, Hoger came on and in the 25 minutes he was on the pitch had four. Um, so, you know, the difference is so marked. Um, he was beaten four times by overcommitting, um, and lost the ball, uh, three times to Lindstrom's two, one of which for Lindstrom was happened after he picked up the injury. So, you know, and that's not lost the ball in terms of if you look at the raw stats, there'll be more ball losses because other things are considered like winning a tackle than not picking up the ball afterwards. But in terms of just unforced, not connecting a pass only happened twice for Lindstrom happened three times for Hoga. And obviously the time he only played a third of the time that Lindstrom was on the pitch. So if you've got that kind of slightly less stable option on the, on the right side for Frankfurt, I think there's a potential that we can win a lot of turnovers and then therefore um, have a, a more comfortable game than we did in the first leg for sure. Thank you, Cal. Yeah, no, I, I echo everything you said. I think the key for me is that we play a four-two-three-one and just don't. Uh, it's bottle. It doesn't sound right, but just set up in the wrong shape. It wasn't even bottling it. It was just ill-advised tactics. <laughs> I think, but you you've got to hope that we've learned from our mistakes. And one thing we've done quite well is uh, throughout the course of the Europa League in these two-legged affairs is take away the positives and the negatives from the first leg and come back changed in the second leg and get the result that we need to get. So I think in that sense, assuming the analysts have, have done their jobs and uh, picked up the weaknesses and have prepared for the incoming and dicker and, and what that might mean, as we've explained, then I think, yeah, as, assuming we get those quick turnovers, I, I would be fairly confident. I, the only problem is, is that we got to, the, we get to this stage in the competition and there's enough quality on the pitch for anything, <laughs> anything to happen. It, 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 all it takes is a moment of, I don't know, Bore or Kamada having a, another worldie and it's a completely different story but tactically I think yeah I'd, I'd be feeling confident assuming we play the shape that we ended the game with last time out because we started even the last 20 minutes I thought we were great we were they were hanging on for good chunks of the second half so we keep that up and I think we'll be sound excellent well I'm not going to offer any opinion of my own because I'm miserable so we'll <laughs> leave that there um, hopefully we'll have more Europa League football to talk about at the very least we'll be back discussing it uh, next week it might be it might be Jack on his own because Cal, Cal you'll be in the sun and you might not want to talk about it and I might just still be inside <laughs> in a no, no, I'll, be, so, I'll be back on next Saturday so I'll, I'll be ready for the pod on Monday you'll be so ready good. for the pod good it could be you two then um, until that time <laughs> we shall see you then and hopefully in a very happy spirits good night right so we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> I'm big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yes, it's Find excitement it. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at kumb.com. Come on, you irons.